Welcome to The Grid. I am your host, Jennifer Shahadi, and we'll be taking a 13 by 13 episode journey through every possible No Limit Hold'em hand, 169 hands in total, from aces to seven deuce offsuit. Each episode, I'll interview another top poker player or personality about their hand. Once a combo is taken, it's gone. So this podcast will become progressively more difficult as hands like ace-king are removed from the grid. Whether you spend hours poring over grids as you study poker, love to listen to hand history pods while grinding cash, or are just interested in absurd scavenger hunts, we're going to have some fun. You got the cards. Dealer, I'm feeling it hit me. Yeah, I got swagger. They see me, see me strutting. All sweating daggers. Believe it, I'm the real thing. But I gotta switch it on. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Poker Grid. I'm Jennifer Shahadi and I'm here today with Fintan Hand, aka Easy with Aces. He's a poker player, streamer at Easy with Aces, a Twitch channel that has nearly 100,000 followers now. He's a Poker Stars ambassador, a 2020 Scoop champion, host of the podcast Sit Down There, and by far the most important part of this intro, he is also a passionate chess newcomer and an en passant connoisseur. <laughs> but but today, Fintan, he brings us the hand Ace-10 offsuit from the 2017 Irish Poker Open. And Ace-10 is also a hand that has haunted him more recently, which we'll get to soon. But for now, Fintan, thank you for joining me. What an introduction. I feel like a lot of pressure to live up to all these titles you just bestowed upon me. Can you tell us a little bit about this Ace-10 offsuit hand, where and when it took place? So the Ace-10 offsuit hand went down, as you said, in 2017. Um, it was on it was on the Irish Open final table, which still to this day is the biggest final table I ever made. It's the only major final table I've ever made playing live poker because I don't play it all that much. And of course, being an Irish lad, Dublin born, it was on my home turf. And it meant, I think, a little bit more to me than maybe some other people, because if you win a major trophy in your hometown, it would have been like incredible scenes. There was that extra appeal of trying to be the hometown champ. My best friend, Kevin Clean, had came second year before. So everything was set up for it to be maybe one of the best moments of my poker career. It was the first time a lot of my family ever watched me play poker because there was a live stream. And my family don't care that much about, you know, when you're streaming just your regular schedule. But when you're in Dublin and you're playing for 200,000 euro, there was all sorts of eyes on me. So the, the hand itself took place when there were seven players left. But I feel like there was a lot of backdrop to it. I came into the day chip leader. So I was one out of nine. The night before, they had tried to get down to eight players and they'd forced us to play for about three hours. So it was due to like wrap up at around 4 a.m. and we start again the next day at noon. But we were still playing at like 7 a.m., half six in the morning, and they just couldn't lose a player. And they were really trying to get there for TV purposes. So everyone was tired, everyone was getting grumpy, everyone knew we had to do a restart. And they were saying that even though we finished so late, they were going to have to restart at the same time. So no one was too happy about the situation. Eventually they gave up because nobody could, nobody would bust. And the reason I'm giving this is because I like to give myself an excuse and pretend that the reason I messed this up was because I was tired. So then got home at around 8 a.m., slept for a couple of hours, went back. And then the next day came in chip leader. I wore an Irish shamrock suit. It's obnoxious, like as you can come. Like I was just like living in the moment, trying to enjoy it, not take myself too serious. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the McGregor Billy Strut. It's the walk he does when he's going into fights. And at the time, McGregor would have been like, you know, one of the biggest stars in the world. It's like diminished a little bit over the past couple of years. But so we done that walk in, everything made a big deal. And then for the whole final table, I didn't play one single hand as chip leader, which is just not how it's meant to go. Chip leader, play as many hands as you can. I just didn't get any hands to play and I just folded and folded and folded. And then we were on break. We lost a couple of players. We got down to seven and I was talking to Chris, who is the player in the hand who shoved from under the gun and he, maybe he got in my head. I'm not sure, but he was saying that he was going for the win. I would consider him, we're not like good friends, but like we're both in the Irish poker community. If we see him, I'd always say hello, would have a drink with him. So I don't think he was like trying to play, mess around or whatever. And I was getting live updates. He was definitely the player who was like playing back versus the chip leaders the most and like willing to put his stack on the line. 
So he was talking, he was like, I'm just, I'm just playing for the win. I'm playing for top three. Seventh place, only paid 20,000 euro. It was quite top heavy. The ladders from seventh to fourth weren't really all that big. I think it maybe went like 20,000, 35, 45. It, was, it wasn't like that significant. So anyway, that was playing on my mind. What was first place? 200,000 euro. Mm-hmm. Okay. We come back and about 10 minutes after the break, uh, Chris shoved uh, in first position, seven-handed uh, for... I think it was 2.4 million or 2.3 million at big blind 200k. So it was like 12 big blinds. And I was sitting three out of seven. So it doesn't actually matter really what I think of how Chris is playing. And I, I think I just let the frustration kick in that I hadn't played a single hand, but I had ace 10 mm. off in big blind. And it's just, it's just a really easy fold because if I call and lose, I'm in last place. I'm out of the tournament. Basically, I think I had like maybe three, four big blinds left. And if I win, I'm not even chip leader. So it was just like an extremely easy fold. And like, it hurts. I, I don't I don't get regret over poker ever. Like I just, a lot of players I feel dwell on it. Like if they have a deep run, they'll think about that run. I can understand maybe a main event run, right? Say you get like 25th in the main, that maybe. But like, I don't get those regrets or I don't even think about hands like the next day, like ever. But this hand like still haunts me. And I actually hadn't watched it or like looked at it once until you were like, let's get the hand history. So I had to pull it up on YouTube. And I remember, I don't know if it was exactly how it went down, but I thought he said 2 million is what I remember. And I actually said it to Chris once he made the call, but he says 2.3 million, super clear. And I even repeat it. So like, I don't know if I like, just like got caught up in a moment for like a brief second or whatever. But anyway, I made the call and uh, he had ace jack and I knew straight away. It was just, I think it was frustration of like, not playing a single hand but i was still three or four out of seven i was still in a fine situation i i didn't need to make the call like and i have no solid excuse whatsoever and like my mum and then girlfriend now fiance decided that they were going to come and rail and because i had so many chips they didn't like rush to get there to start the day and like they just arrived in the door as i was walking off the stage didn't even get to see me play a single hand and i don't have any excuse for it but it still hurts a little bit, Jen. So that's the worst hand, the most memorable hand of poker that I think I've ever played. It's definitely the most money I've ever lit on fire at a poker table with no good reason. You know, it's just like fundamentals, you know, don't get it wrong. And I just got caught up in the moment. I wouldn't have called against anyone else, but it just how the maths works is it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter if that Chris might be shoving a little bit too wide. You still don't get the call with ace 10. That one hurt a lot. When you say you lit lots of money on fire, can you explain why it's um, bad to call with ace 10 off there, um, 12 big blinds, jamming under the gun? You know, you are you do have a good hand with an ace in it. Just explain why you why you would describe that as lighting money on fire. I think it was on your podcast that I heard someone going very in-depth to ICM, and it was definitely in a way... Maybe it was Ike Haxin on Joey? Uh, yeah, that was it. I seen Ike talking about it on, on Twitter. And he done a lot better job of explaining it, but essentially ICM just we'll put a value on your chips that is equated to dollars because when we're playing tournament poker, we're not playing for dollars. We're playing with tournament chips and they're not actually worth the money. So if you have a hundred thousand chips, they're not worth a hundred thousand dollars, obviously. So it's a model that dictates what your chip value is. And like, there is like a future value of them depending on how you, you know, play a hand. And in this situation, if I fold, I still stay three out of seven and I'm in a very good position to ladder up quite significantly because if we all just kept folding, the other players would blind out before me. So they're going to have to make a move. They're going to be all in before me. And you essentially just get paid to ladder. You know, like if I just play a little bit tighter, what I've learned in recent times from my coach, um, which not everyone agrees with when I watch the high stakes uh, crushers play uh, in the recent uh, series on Pokestars, they don't play by the same rules, I don't feel. I don't know if everyone has the same views on ICM, but I trust my coach and he's just like, everybody's just too loose in these ICM situations, which means that you should actually be even tighter because if I just keep folding, these players are going to clash with each other with two wide ranges. I'm not sure exactly what my stack was worth then, but it was worth a lot more than 20,000 euro, which is uh, what I ended up getting. So the benefits of calling and winning that hand didn't propel me into the chip lead. I'm not even sure if they propelled me into second place. So I probably stayed in the same situation but if I lost it, it was disastrous and I was essentially out of the tournament. And the reality is, like, even if he's shoving slightly too wide, he's not going to shove too many hands that I dominate with ace 10 off, I don't think. At the time, I thought he would. I think I just adjusted a little bit too much in my head that he would have pretty much every suited ace and maybe like ace 8 off. But I don't think he would. Like, I think uh, even if someone's like playing loose and aggressive, like it's really hard to, or even a little bit more gambly if you want to put it, it's really hard to just like take a stand shoving into six people. Like that's not where they take a stand. They'll rejam when their last act over the chip leader or something along those lines. But you just fold that hand and you 
preserve your stack because the chips you lose on final tables are just worth a lot more than the chips you win, which is like a hard concept to like kind of get. Especially when you really, really want to win and when you've yeah. been folding for hours. So yeah. it sounds to me that at that point in your poker career, you already realized that ace-10 off was a fault, but that just like emotionally, you... It's easy to say because like being results orientated and if he flipped over ace-9 and held, maybe I would have stopped thinking about it and there would have mm -hmm. been bigger hands as the final table went on because it's very often the hands that cost you a lot of chips that you look upon, uh, you know, you reflect on them and you're like, God, that was a terrible mistake. But sometimes you have this like memory bias when something goes well, you're like, well, my read was right. He was too wide. He shoved king nine off, you know, and I won and now I have all the chips and now I push on. And Darrow Carney was doing the commentary and it was on like a 40 minute delay. So I said I never watched it, but I watched it back the first time, like it was live. And then I heard it again. Darrow would like, base himself on being very uh, strong ICM player, I would say. And like, he said it was close when he first seen it, but then it took a few moments and he was like, this isn't close. And like, I think he expected me to make the fold. And all my friends, like, I, I don't have any ego when it comes to poker. And a lot, most of my friends are like uh, significantly better than me. So like, I'm surrounded in like a really good circle. And like, they knew I was heartbroken, but they were just like, mate, like you've literally just like, you know, made like one of the biggest mess ups you're going to make. And it's like, not like the most fun spot to think about. I... My mom found me sleepwalking. To, so I was like, I went over to my mom's house that evening. I was like, I wasn't living with her anything, but she found me sleepwalking, like looking for my chips. Like that's how emotionally scarred that hand. <laughs> like I was walking. I sleepwalk all the time. So it's not that unusual. I sleepwalk all the time. But I was like walking around looking for the chips. Like it, uh, it's the only hand that I have ever thought about for like more than a, you know, there's other hands I've messed up. Like the other hand that we're briefly going to talk about, the ace 10 on the scoop final table. I messed that one up as well. It's just funny that it's also ace-10 off. I see, I won that hand, so maybe that's why I don't think about it. This is the exact memory bias I'm talking about. Maybe because I won, it doesn't haunt me the way the loss does. And I don't think as humans capable of associating like a good feeling and like being like, oh, I'm so, I, I was so bad in that situation. You know, like, but the pain of like the loss, like I won't forget, you know, if that makes sense. The fact that you were folding for so long and you had fans and friends watching, to me brings to light this, this weird situation when you're playing such a high prestige final table that you have people who aren't really poker players watching and yet you're performing for them. Yeah. And that, <laughs> that creates like a real weird thing, I think, that, um, you know, it sounds like you were like almost embarrassed that you had folded for hours, but it's probable that it was actually correct to do so. I remembered most of the hands. I, I literally made one fold that you could argue mm -hmm. I could have opened, but it was very dicey to open. I didn't, like, I don't, enjoy playing poker tight like i love trying to like my whole brand is atb addicted to bluffing like i like trying to put people under pressure and i like trying to play as many hands as possible so like it wasn't like i froze up on the stage and got nervous and like made super tight folds or anything like that and obviously not because i i called off the ace and off this was prior to me being signed by poker stars and it felt like there was more on the line than just winning the tournament because like you win like something like the irish open it propels you a little bit more into the poker media's eyes mm -hmm. and i was streaming on twitch but it was like early in my streaming career and like my dad was driving me home and like, like i love my dad to bits and he didn't mean anything uh by the way he said it but it's like oh you know like if you hadn't a bus and you had a one like maybe you would have got a poker stars contract as well because like that's what i wanted and at that moment like it just like it was the worst thing i could ever hear you know because like obviously it wasn't just the 200,000 year that was gone but it was like maybe that chance to get signed was gone and yeah i i think it was a lot of pressure but i i just I think I just got caught up in that Chris, that little speech that Chris uh, had on the break, which I don't think was aimed, you know, him expecting to be in an ICM situation. Because I screw both of us when I make a call that's too wide, right? Like, it's not just, in this situation, he has ace-jack against ace-10, but like, if I make a call there with a pair I shouldn't call, like, we're flipping for his tournament life, and that messes up, you know, his uh, equity in the tournament as well. So I don't think he was, like, trying to plant a seed or anything like that, but I think I just put too much weight on it and got caught up in the moment frustration of just folding my way down and you know dwindling away and like kind of like watching your dream like just like slip away i just made the call and yeah if i could change one hand that i ever played it would definitely be that hand by a considerable margin i don't know there's the butterfly effect though because so many great things have happened to you in your <laughs> yeah, life since course. then but I do find it interesting that um, maybe there was a part of you that wanted to call and there's like these small things that happen like um, the guy telling you on break that he was playing for first or the the mismemory of like uh, 2 million chips when it was really 2.4, even though you yeah. probably, I, I'm not sure you, you would have called 
you, or you should have called with two million either. But obviously, the shorter he is, the closer. Yeah, yeah, of course. It is. And then the the really crazy thing is that you had this hand ace ten <laughs> offsuit in another ICM spot for um, six almost six figures, right? <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. And so the the second hand happened very recently in a scoop event, right? It was about six weeks ago uh, in the scoop event that I was lucky enough to win. And I was three-handed versus two players that I would uh, say were superior to me. Uh, like I, I don't ever like have an ego in these situations. Like I think they're both better than me. And it was chip leader with, I think, 70 big blinds. Uh, I had about 35, 36 big blinds. And then uh, third in chips, uh, a player that like I respect a lot and is, like again, a lot better than me and super tough opponent uh, was 30 big blinds. And the button opened shoved, which is the chip leader. And I was in the small blind. And this one, like, even though it was wrong uh, and it was a mistake, uh, my coach has uh, an ICM course. And like the guy who like pretty much designed that course, like straight away messaged me. I was like, you've re- like, this is like something like you need to like be aware of like how much you've messed up. But again, it's the same situation, right? Like when I'm second in chips and the guy has less chips than me, like you don't want to take unnecessary risks to bust before him because he has to make a move before you, right? I think that's about as simple as you can explain it. Like, again, if, we, if, the, if the chip leader goes all in every hand and we fold every hand, I make an extra $20,000. Obviously, that's not how it's going to go down, but like, that's kind of the concept a, a little bit. And I thought when he has 30 big blinds, I didn't understand it fully. And I've, it's what, in the last six weeks is what I've been studying more than anything else because I've realized that these situations are where you make more money than any other amount, right? Like it's, it's all fun and games, like learning like these cool bluffs and trying to learn these like lines that don't come up that often. But like when you're on final tables, like that's where you make all your money, right? Like that's where the big money is. That's where the big pay jumps are. That's where like, if I mess up, you know, first couple of hands of a scoop, 1K, it, it, it could cost me 1K, right? In equity. Whereas if I mess up in this situation, it's like uh, there's fifteen thousand dollars that like I've you know cost myself. Or on the final table of the Irish Open, I don't. I've never worked it out how much that was worth, but it could have been worth thirty, forty k. I'm not sure exactly. But he shoved the button, and the logic that I had was that both of the players are better to me, in my opinion. And I don't think, and I still believe that he would never shove thirty five big blinds with a hand better than Ace Ten. Like I think he would raise a Jack. I think he would raise all of you know jacks queens kings aces because it goes without saying because he wants to get a little bit more value in a spot where we should both be shoving over him pretty wide because he's like opening the button probably like maybe as high as 70 percent potentially uh, so we can just rejam there a lot because he's not going to be able to call a lot so i just felt that i could take a flip it would make me the chip leader against two players and i did think that the majority of his range was going to be small pairs i felt like that was the case but i also thought it was more likely that he would show up with like a king 10 suited or king jack suited or an ace five suited because those hands can't raise call, but they, you know, they're going to do reasonably well when called. Like, not amazingly well, but they're going to do okay. So I thought he was more likely to have hands that I dominated than vice versa. He did. Tur- he turned up with a small pair. I hit an ace on the river. The chat went wild on Twitch. There was absolute scenes. Maybe if I had a lost that hand, I would have been just as upset and tra- uh, traumatized. And I would have been sitting here being like, ace 10 off. I'm never playing it again. It's like the worst hand in poker. I was lucky enough to get there, but I kind of knew like as soon as I called and hit the river, I was like, this, I said it like instantly on the stream. I was like, this could be a massive mess up. Like I'm not 100% sure. But when the thing with ICM models is that they don't take into account an edge. It'd be like if, so it's not as quite the same because the edge isn't as drastic, but let's say I was playing in a chess situation where I was offered to flip a coin to beat Hikaru at the beginning of the game and it's for $100,000, I'm taking that every time, right? And then I get told that the flip coin flip is actually, I'm going to lose it like 60-40, right? I'm taking every time. If it's 70-30, I'm taking every time. Obviously, it's not as drastic because their edge isn't as high, okay? But in a situation where I thought I was at a disadvantage and I could flip to be in a very good situation where I would be the chip leader and put a lot of pressure on, I decided to take it. But the reality when the numbers were shown to me was with the risk premium, which is like the extra percentage uh, you need in equity to call due to the stack distribution, like I needed about 60%, I think, or maybe like 59% to call due to the way the stacks were set up. And like I was getting nowhere near that, no matter how, like the most generous range I could give him, like that benefited me, it got me to like 55 or something. It was just a mess up, like. Yeah, it's surprising. I actually ran it really quickly on um, HRC2, and I actually was surprised yeah. as well that no matter how favorable you made his range <laughs> to yours, it still kept being red. 
I'm like, yeah. I started giving him every suited ace, <laughs> ace eight, yeah, ace no. nine. It doesn't. Nothing. No, no. The best, no matter how you do it, you take it at top range, which I think is very natural to do. But no matter what I did, like I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't plug it to make it that it was good for me. But again, it doesn't take into consideration the edge, right? But that's yeah. not. I don't think it was. I don't think it was compensated for in this exact situation, right? Um, like I don't think I got the compensation that I needed to take the negative EV spot. I got lucky. I became a scoop champion. Like that is one of my dreams that came true. So, but it it did like give me a shock that. I'm making these errors um, and I really need to do my best because as I've progressed throughout my career, I've just been getting myself uh, more often into these situations where there's large money at stake. And it's not that long ago that I, you know, the highest buy-in I played was $500. And now we're playing like one, two Ks like on our own time very regularly. And then for the recent series that Pokestars ran, the stadium series, they put myself and a few other streamers into the higher stakes tournaments. So like, if that's something that's going to happen more, like I don't want to be the guy who doesn't know what he's doing when it matters most. So as much as it was a big mistake, <laughs> I can laugh about it now because I hit an ace on the river and I, like, I've learned my lesson, but it didn't cost me anything. But in terms of EV, like I definitely, uh, I definitely messed up like twice with ace 10 off, which is kind of funny that it was the same hand both times. Yeah, and you needed maybe something like ace queen. Or- it was ace queen, but I think uh, even some people told me that they would fold ace queen off in the situation where uh, I had the ace 10 on the scoop final table. Now, I wouldn't fold that one because that gets much closer. And then the thing I was talking about where the mm-hmm. edge comes in and I, I would definitely take ace queen. Obviously, I took ace 10. Like, obviously, I'm taking ace <laughs> yeah. queen. But like, even, even today, if I was put in the exact same situation, they're like, that's slightly losing. I would take it and expect to see a flip quite frequently and put myself into the situation. Because we don't have the computing power to like run uh, sims far enough into the future. Like when you become chip lead, like it doesn't really calculate that far into the future. But like you have like some really nice situations when both players have 30 big blinds because you can just put so much pressure on them. So I'm not like some ICM. Like clearly, I'm terrible at ICM. So like I'm like, if anyone is new to poker and they're listening to this podcast, because... <laughs> Like, don't, don't take me on my word. Like, go find out for yourself because I'm just saying, like, what I understand. And I clearly bottle it and make mistakes on the biggest stages of my career. So don't take me at my word and, like, research it yourself. But, like, I would still take a slightly losing spot against the two players that I was against in that situation. It means that I need to be aware, like, if I'm playing the big 44 and it's two recreational players that I'm against, like, I need to be aware that I need to call even, like, you know, I can't, you know, make an excuse and call off the ace queen there in, in the exact same situation. There's one other interesting thing about this. You play um, on your own dime, right? You're not staked. Yeah. And so I, I always think that in situations like that where you're, you know, a celebrity player as well as a professional poker player. I don't know about celebrity. <laughs> well, well, you're you're a public figure, right? As well yeah, okay. as a, a poker Just, player. To some degree, yeah, yeah. Okay. There, there's some benefit in coming in first place, right? So there's... Oh, no, absolutely. So there's this, um, there's this kind of reward that you're playing for that maybe the other people aren't playing for as much depending on what the situation who the other two players are i I think that's kind of fun because you could almost run an icm calculator where it's like you're (laughs) playing for like an extra you know whatever you value this irish open title or yeah um scoop title like you kind of add like 20 30k to first place and you know (laughs) but it's it's difficult to do that actually because then how would you do that in a way that you could run the simulation and then they but they're not playing for it yeah right so it's it's not easy actually to run that math i do think uh it's something that i actually talked about with my coach bbz very recently because Uh he was saying that uh you know everyone's too tight or sorry everyone's too loose so you have to be tighter and i was like my whole brand is atb and like trying to build up stacks and like don't get me wrong i'm not more aggressive than the most aggressive players in the world or the best players in the world but like compared to the player pool i think that we play somewhat aggressively we don't enjoy just folding like we you know we try to make things happen and i was like do you not think that the equity in me playing like that, building up stacks and then getting more wins than I do like thirds or fourth is worth something. And his argument is, whilst it certainly is worth something, if you play tighter, you put yourself in a position to be in third or fourth more regularly and then you just need to win a couple of flips or you just need one or two hands to go your way and then you're winning more tournaments. So like, even though like it's not as exciting and you know, it's not uh, exactly how I want to play like with the shackles on and you know, just folding and waiting for things to happen. Like it does get you these situations where you're playing for large money. And with the way Twitch works, people love deep runs. Like every time I've broke my stream record or Lex has broke a stream record or Benj Spraggy has broke a stream record, it's when we're deep in big tournaments 
with huge amounts of money for first. And whilst I might not get there swinging and fighting and battling and bluffing as much if I play tighter in them ICM situations, I will get into those situations more frequently on final tables where I get towards third or fourth. And then the momentum builds and you get more and more viewers and then you just need a couple of things to go your way. And obviously, you know, if it's going to make me more money in the long run, it, like it does make sense. But I completely agree that there is a different aspect to it for streamers that like winning tournaments, like I will never deal, no matter the size of the tournament. Now I say that if I made like an anniversary Sunday million and it was like 1.5 minute for first or something and I was against two good regs and they wanted to deal, like I might deal then, but I won't deal like, you know, there was a final table there, like that scoop had 70k for first and like the two players are better than me and if they had offered me a deal, I would have said no because the Twitch stream, like they watch me so regularly, like people tune in mm-hmm. an obscene amount. Like the average watch time on our streams is like, four and a half to five hours per person or something like they really like watch and commit and they show up day after day and the support's amazing so like i don't want to have them watch me play the big 22 on a tuesday in december and then like when it comes around to the scoop title i'm just like oh we're just going to chop it up and not play it out you know like the whole beauty of like poker tournaments and why they're so successful on twitch i think is because there's a beginning a middle and an end and it's just that narrative of like carrying your way through and people can invest in it and like sweat it and obviously there's heartbreak and there's these moments that you think you're going to get that big score and then they don't and you feel the support of the stream and i also agree with what your coach said about not introducing kind of irrational emotional arguments into your strategy (laughs) because the problem is even if they make sense occasionally the danger of them kind of like seeping in to a lot of areas where they don't make sense is so massive 100 percent, absolutely like he's the best coach I've ever had, like ever since he started coaching me, like my results have like got so much better. And like, I just listened to him. And this coach is BBZ Poker, the CEO of that brand, right? So yeah, BBZ Poker, you'll find him. Uh, I think it's just BBZ on Twitch. But if you go to bbzpoker.com, like you find every bit of information that you want to find from him. And he has like a full ICM course that he uh, gave me to go over and I still haven't, which is horrendous when I know it's like my biggest weakness. It's like, I've, it's like, I think it's a 14 hour course. And I've done five hours. But it's just been like online. It's just been series after series with coronavirus. There hasn't been the ability to throw live tournaments. So they've just had everything online. And studying ICM is not fun. Like it's tedious. It's it's not fun to read. It's so like I've been making excuses. But I, I'm once I get around to a little bit more free time, I'm going to study it properly. Like I have to. Well, it's fun when you're studying <laughs> spots that made you seventy five thousand dollars, even though you <laughs> lost the hand. And I think that's actually an important improvement takeaway for people. If you play a hand badly and it's kind of traumatic because you played it badly and you lost, sometimes that can be harder for some people to learn from. When you played a hand badly yeah. and you win, then you have all of the learning lessons with none of like the emotional like issues. I feel a lot of people though are actually the other way. Like I think when they lose, like they're like, oh, I, I can't do that. But like when they win, they just don't go over it. Like they're like, oh, well, it worked out, you know? Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about it. And I feel like I have a strategy section like for my community that they can post hands and they almost always post hands where they took a line that's pretty standard, but they lost, you know, and it's like, mm-hmm. they might think it's slightly off. And like, it's, it's not necessarily a bad beat or anything, but it's just like, I think people have a blind spot when they win hands. Like they just don't go over them. Like I try and mark hands that I'm unsure about in the hand, like before it's over. So it doesn't matter what the result is. And that way, like I can learn from it regardless because like, I didn't know what to do. Right. And I might've played it right. I might've made a mistake. And that's the thing with poker. It's just not black and white. Cause sometimes like, you know, there's mixed strategies and both things can be somewhat right. And it can be hard to like notice the different nuances in hands. I assume this is in your Discord channel. Yeah. I think that um, stories about a hand where you kind of got coolered, but you're like double checking with your 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 poker friends that it's a cooler. Yeah. It's a fine line between that and a bad beat. <laughs> well, it's I don't know any bad beats. I was a poker dealer for two years. Okay. So I've heard every single bad beat and I had to sit there and smile like, oh, I'm so sorry, man, because you can't be rude to a customer. But if people try and post bad beats on my Twitch channel and my Discord, like if they post bad beats anywhere, I'm just like, my command literally says, nobody cares. Because nobody wants to listen to bad beats. Like nobody, nobody, like, like I don't think, I don't understand what the need is. Like, I don't get it. Like, because if you're like talking with someone who's like, you know, your housemate and like you bust like the biggest tournament you play at a Sunday or something, and you're like, oh, I lost Aces of King. So that's fine. Like, whatever, you move on. But if you're someone who just like needs to tell other people and like get like validation that you played the hand correctly, like when you got aces in against kings, it's like, of course you played the hand correctly. I don't know. It's human nature, I guess, to like moan about things, but I hate it. Like, that's my least favorite thing about the entire 
poker community. I hear you. And they're getting smarter about it. It's the disguise, <laughs> the, the, the bad beat story disguised as a strategy question. People do it all the time. It sounds like you're really passionate about improving at poker. Um, so I'm going to just give you a, a, a few types of study techniques and just give me, in your opinion, okay. a scale from one to 10, how valuable you think they are to getting better at poker. Okay. Okay. So, at what level? Okay. But just before you ask, just at what level are we at when, like, do you mean right now if I was to like use them myself or like if you're beginning? Um, that's a good question. I, I, yeah, let's just say somebody who's, um, I'm trying to think of the average member of the gritty audience, somebody who's really serious about poker, maybe semi-professional or professional, but, um, not like maybe that. making the move from like almost full time to yeah. playing full time. Okay. Sure. Let's, let's okay. say that. Okay. So what about watching other, um, good poker streamers? I think watching other good poker streamers is a great way to learn, but it's like identifying who's a good poker streamer. So one to 10, what would you say? It depends who you're watching. Uh, okay, well pick your, your favorite poker streamer to watch. If you're watching for strategy point of view, it's absolutely like not even close, it's BBZ. Um, so I would watch Jordan. And I think if you're actively watching, because when I'm streaming, like you're not running a lesson, okay? And like, don't get me wrong, like there's some spots where like I go to, in, into detail as much as I'm capable of. Uh, and I try and break down a hand, but like you can break down every single little spot, right? But what you can do, like BBZ, Spraggy, Lex, whoever you want to watch, they will always have a Discord. If you have questions about a hand they played and you're like reasonable about it, because some people tell you the hand that you played is wrong and they don't have any other constructive criticism or questions, right? And then if someone just tells me you played that hand terribly, I've no interest in like a dialogue with them or like a discussion. Like I'm just, I'm not mad at them, but I'm like not going to waste my time. But if you watch someone like Jordan and then you see a hand and you, you don't understand why he did it, if you go into his Discord and post a hand, if Jordan doesn't get back, Jordan's BBZ, if Jordan doesn't get back to you, like someone who is a good player or a coach will get back to you. So like that's like all for free. Like that wasn't possible when I first started playing poker or when you first started playing poker. Like the way I used to rail people was I would open up the client and I would just pick my favorite poker players. Um, Olivia, I used to love playing the heads up sitting ghosts. Like I Haxton and Olivia Biscay. Is that how you say his name? Have I yes. butchered that? Mm -hmm. No, you, <laughs> uh, you got it. You did it perfect. They were always playing heads up sitting ghosts, and I used to love watching them. But like they weren't going to tell me like why they're doing certain strategies. You know, like I used to just sit there and watch them play like high stakes sitting ghosts all day. And like that's what I did. And like that was the closest you could get. You could go on poker forums. There was like some good information or some terrible information. So I think if you're watching actively and you're not just like passively watching, like it can be a great source of learning. And then there's like some smaller streamers that are very good poker players that you can go in and like, you know, you just add them in the chat. I think it can be super useful, but I also think it can be useful in other ways that you build relationships with like-minded people where then you can study together off the table uh, or you can post hands. People come into my stream at least 20 times a name, like how do I be a professional poker player? And like all the answers are out there. Like if you actually want to be a professional poker player, like you can find this information so easily. I always joke and like, I don't do it with everyone because they get tedious, but like once every two weeks, I'll be like, if you have to ask me that question in Twitch chat, you're not going to be a professional poker player because you're just lazy and it's just not going to happen. Like if you have to go somewhere and ask that question, you like the idea of being a professional poker player. Like you don't love playing poker and you don't love everything that comes with it. And like, it's just not going to happen, in my opinion. I'm sure it's happened to some people, but for the most part, if you're asking how it won't happen, but you just get, you become a part of a community, you ask questions. The more questions you ask, like if you're a regular person, like there's like a couple of hundred people out in my chat every day. And if they ever ask me a hand, they could send me a DM. I would like go in depth and like answer to the best of my ability. And like, I'm not the best player in the world, but I'm better than people that don't play the game for a living, right? So like that, there's a lot of information and a lot of good to come. So I would say like, depending on how you're watching and who you're watching, it's like a seven or an eight out of 10. Sounds like that could totally be the case. Absolutely. Using that, those discords, that's incredibly generous. That's that so many top players um, do that. And then what about um, studying chess? As I mentioned in the <laughs> intro, you are playing in the pod chance on chess.com and you're yeah. a passionate new chess player. So um, <laughs> do you feel like that's going to help your poker at all? Not even 1%. <laughs> Not even 1%. The only reason I don't think it helps is because I still have so much to learn in poker and it takes away from time I should be studying uh -huh. poker. Like that's, uh -huh. the, that's the only reason I don't think it helps. I think if you, know, if you get brought up as a chess player, if you get brought up as a poker player, I think like that strategy of playing games, like they help each other somewhat. I am hoping when PogChamps happens that the fact that I play for like high amounts of money in high-pressure situations 
like it could be somewhat of an edge because the players that I'm going to be playing against are a little bit better than me. So I'm hoping that like they might crumble under the pressure. A lot of the streamers that I'm playing against have like higher average viewer than me, but like they don't peak as often as we do. Because like when we have a big run, it'll be like, you know, in a big series, it could be anywhere from 10 to 20,000 viewers, right? And like if the Pog cha- last Pog Champs is anything to go by, I think there were 60,000 people watching the final. And now they might not feel the pressure at all. When I'm playing poker, like it actually doesn't change for me. Like when it's like, a thousand people watching or like 15,000 people watching like I don't notice it but like some people might you know and it's an extra pressure so that preparation like poker for chess or if you're like a chess player who's used to playing like really high televised or broadcast Mm -hmm. like that might help a little bit but yeah I am I am a chess enthusiast and I love the game and I wish I started playing it when I was like five or something in school but I only played for like six months and like then I didn't play until I'd done that stream with Alexandra Botez and she didn't tell me that stalemate was a thing and Gave me a full board and she started with the king and I failed to win in two games in a row, which quite embarrassing. <laughs> I wish I'd have played it more because uh, I really love it. But whenever I retire, quote unquote, from poker, like when I stop streaming and I don't play, you know, as regularly as I do, like I'm going to try and like stream chess like for six months to a year. Like not because I think it's going to lead me anywhere in terms of getting exceptionally good or, you know, anything like that. But I just, like, I just love it. Like I really enjoy it and I wish I could sink more time into it. But I feel guilty when I play chess for like four hours in a day and I don't study poker. All right. Well, we're going to get a chess stream where I'm going to teach you some chess and I'm going to yeah, try to bring definitely. in, I'm going to try to bring in some poker stuff. Like I have, I have this chess problem that's in the shape of a poker spade. It's like a maiden. Oh, really? So yeah, you'll, you'll definitely <laughs> learn some poker tricks and chess at the same time. That's awesome. That'd be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, you're getting coaching from like Anna Rudolph, Leslie Rasmus, some real gems of the chess universe. Can you tell us like how working on chess and being part of the Twitch chess community differs so far from poker? Honestly, I actually think the communities are quite similar. I think Mm -hmm. the fact that now chess obviously is not a plus 18 game, but I do think that the general audience on the chess directory and the poker directory are like, you know, they're a little bit of an older audience. Like I think my average age audience is about 27, 28, whereas a lot of the games on Twitch are driven by uh, young teenagers um, and they're like I don't know maybe I'm, get, I'm getting old I am like I'm getting a little bit older but I don't enjoy it like it's just like nonsense in the chat like it's hard to have like a conversation it's hard to like get anything out of it like if you were to put the exact same community into the chess community and you're trying to learn like you're, you're not it's just emotes and memes and like I'm just I'm making myself sound quite old saying this but well you're pronouncing them right so <laughs> you're hearing <laughs> At least you're not saying but, emoji and mem. <laughs> but I do think there's a lot, a lot of crossover. I got into the chess community like just before it kind of blew up because like recently it's like one of the largest games on Twitch and like I just automatically thought it was super welcoming. There is this like thing where there's no delay that people you know want to tell you where to move even though you're trying to learn and like I hate that like. But it is what it is. Like, it's just, it's part, it's part and parcel. Like, if you go into a room, you have a thousand people, and you give everyone a microphone, it's going to be chaos. Like, no, everyone's not going to abide by the rules. Like, people are going to be shouting random things. And, you know, with a thousand people in a room, there's just going to be someone that's not nice or just wants to ruin the fun for everyone. You actually wrote a really popular Twitter thread that I won't quote in full because it's pretty long, but I'll link to it in the show notes. But you did write that you thought that poker was the hardest game to stream on Twitch and you explored some of the challenges like the delay, the slower moments that lead up to thrilling final tables and the mental challenge of losing money while doing your job in public. Yeah. But then you flip yeah. the switch and you assert that you think it's the greatest game to watch on Twitch. Where else are people putting on their own cash every single day and going to battle and you conclude that you love it and you wouldn't swap it for anything? A lot of people... I don't know if they read the full thread, but they took it as like a Fintan is looking for sympathy when he has a job that so many of us would love to do. And like, it wasn't that like, like I, I love streaming poker on Twitch and I, I genuinely believe that it is one of the best games to watch. When Scoop rolls around, like any of the top streamers like are putting six figures of their own money on the line over the course of like two to four weeks. And I don't know any other game. Like, of course, there's other games where we play for a lot of money. Like there's chess invitationals where uh, I think yesterday the first prize was like $150,000 maybe or something along these lines. Yeah, there are big prizes in chess. Yeah. yeah so but they're of course and that's amazing right but there's two things about it when it's chess it's their players aren't putting up their own money it's sponsorship money so it's a little different and secondly i can't win that competition 
no matter what I do, I'm never going to beat someone who's like, I'm never going to be a grandmaster. Like that's just like a reality of life. Maybe if I dedicated my whole life to it and gave up everything else, it might like be somewhat possible, but it's going to be, even then it's going to be super tough, right? Like it's going to be really tough. Whereas I'm not the best poker player in the world. I'm not in the best top 50 players in the world. Like I'm nowhere near, right? But I can win the best titles, the biggest titles. Like I can compete with the best on my day. There is variance in poker, which means that even when you mess up with ace-10 off and you punt off and you really don't play a hand the way you should off me, you can still win. And some people don't like that, but that's like a beautiful part of it. But there is challenges within poker that like don't just extend to Twitch. I think the fact that it's 18s plus makes it harder for younger people to be getting into it. I think that it's pay to play means that, you know, there's a stigma attached to it and uh, some people like shouldn't play poker. Like it's not for everybody, you know, like it, it is... A gambling game like you can have an edge in it but like not everybody does and most people don't but you can play for small stakes amongst friends and then you can still stream that and be successful like you don't just have to be playing high stakes so like if we could get america back like if we could just have america if you could just if you know if you could have a word you know just a little word if you could just get everything like i'm only joking i sound like twitch chat because that's what people come in from like california like can you just get poker stars to like open up in california i'm like you don't realize what well, as an American right now, I feel like we have a slightly higher priority than getting getting poker legalized. <laughs> we gotta get we gotta get Biden and Harrison, and then then <laughs> then we'll deal with poker. I'm not I'm not talking politics. <laughs> but poker stars PA. Is, I actually do live in Philadelphia, so we did we did yeah, at least yeah, get my get my state as well as New Jersey, which was wonderful. But yeah, I, I would love to see more states get the opportunity. As you know, but even that, like, it's you're in Philadelphia, and it's like great that PokerStars is making strides and doing all the right things. So if it becomes available, PokerStars will be the first site in there. But, like, we can't play against each other on PokerStars for money, right? Because it's segregated. It's like you know, cut off. The Americans, you know, we have like a a long disadvantage because we haven't been able yeah. to play online. I guess mm -hmm. people do play online on on regulated sites, but I think that in general, it's thought now that Americans have a big disadvantage compared to Europeans in yeah. understanding the theoretical side of the game, you know? So yeah. actually, I think For if sure. you merge these American sites with European sites, it would actually just be like a funneling of money to, <laughs> across the Atlantic. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for it. It sounds fantastic. You guys have loads of money over there. It'll be fine. There's lots of things that like make it a little bit harder. I had the tread up earlier on because I knew it was a question you're going to ask. But like the biggest one for me personally is the delay. I'd love to be able to stream on no delay because to protect our cards, like we need to have a delay because otherwise, you know, we can't make money. It would it wouldn't work. It just there's no solution. And like a five minute delay, like trying to have like a back and forth on stream with a five minute delay. So like you ask me one question, you have to wait five minutes for an answer. I answered, then you say something, then you wait five minutes. So like to get two pieces, like, like just, you know, three lines of text that takes 10 minutes max or sorry, minimum. And it's just like, it kills it. And like, I've tried streaming on no delay where I cover my cards, then I can't talk strategy. And then it's like, you're losing that side of it. So it's like, you're just being a just chatting streamer that happens to be playing poker rather than like being a poker streamer who's interacting with his community. Like that is like one of the big things. It, it feels like I'm asking, like looking for sympathy again, but like, I've had like a series where I streamed 250 hours and like you come out of it, like including streaming uh, money, uh, sponsorship money, whatever you come out like 30, $40,000 worse off. Right. And like, that's like, like a weird thing mentally because like people, like you just put all these hours in, like it's usually like in May or September for me, cause they're the big uh, scoop and W coop and my birthday and my fiance's birthday is in September. My mum's birthday and her mum's birthday in May. So like you make sacrifices like to like not be around for those things. And then it's like, oh, and I actually just lost $40,000 and like didn't do anything else for a month. Like, don't get me wrong. I think the benefits like outweigh those negatives like greatly. And that's how I ended the trend. But there is things like if you're streaming Fortnite, the more you stream, the more revenue you make. Like that's just how it is. And like some people did like mention that fact that the fact that I stream uh, on Twitch gives me potentially the ability to play tournaments that I wouldn't otherwise because I have another income and I can be a little bit more aggressive. And that's certainly like a, it's a double-edged sword, right? I didn't mention that in the thread, but it is true. What's a clue that somebody would be really well suited to poker streaming? Like what's their a one quality that you feel suggests that? Well, I would love someone to just play a character and like no one will ever be Dr. Disrespect, but I'm sure you're familiar with him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's the, in my opinion, like the best streamer um, has the best production and it's not even close. And that character he plays, like you don't want to be a, like a complete ripoff, but like something where like 
you just make poker more fun. And like when people give you bad beats, you pretend get mad. And when you win, you over celebrate. And like, you just like play this character that's like, you know, like obnoxious and like, it doesn't have to be obnoxious. But like, I just think like someone doing something a bit different like that and they invested money in scenes. Like, I think that that would really stand out. Like the other things, it's the usual suspects. It's like consistency. If you're not consistent, you're not going to make it on Twitch. You're going to have to grind uncomfortable errors um, in the directory because the top streamers are on all the time. And if you want to get noticed, like you need to go to the uh, unseen errors or you need to just like, sh- like Ali Shaban streamed for, he done a 48 hour stream where he didn't stop. He streamed for 125 er- uh, days in a row where he just streamed eight hours every day. Like Ali went from nobody knowing him to like being a lot more like, you know, recognized and sponsored by poker stars. He had some advantages because like he was friends with Kevin Martin and he had like some ins, but like if you like, outgrind everyone that's like one way to do it if you're one of the best poker players in the world you'll automatically get an audience you won't get it straight away but like if i go on and start playing the high stakes you're going to get it but like if you're just like a normal person who's like not going to be playing super high if you want to stand out you got to probably do something a little bit different now because i do think it's a little bit saturated in terms of like normal white guy streams poker and doesn't offer anything new like i'm not like the funniest streamer i'm not the Best poker player, I just have been there for five years and showing up like more than everyone else. Like that's all I've been doing. Don't get me wrong, like like I have my big moments like in poker and I've been studying to keep that going. But I think like if you're not gonna like outwork everyone, um, which will be difficult considering how often like the top streamers stream, like you you're probably gonna need to like do something a little bit different now to stand out. I love that uh, idea actually, being that I have like an artistic background as well. This idea of merging like theater with the you know the the analytical side of poker. The the big issue with that is it's difficult. So somebody might lose a lot yeah. of money at first. So like many things in life, it's an endeavor where <laughs> it helps a lot if you start with like yeah, <laughs> a chunk of yeah. change to sit on. You know, <laughs> absolutely. I like you're the only person I think though that's ever streamed that can play chess and poker to a high level, right? Like. The first time I watched your stream, I think you won like twelve or thirteen thousand euro, and or sorry, excuse me, dollars, um, and also we're like in the middle of flagging someone like towards the end of the final table, and like that was the first time I rated you and like watched it properly, and like, like that's a unique perspective, right? Because the, there's a lot of crossover between them worlds, and like I would love to do more collaborations with chess streamers, but the reality is like we can't have that much fun when they play poker. Like, but there's like, a, there's a more easy path for them to teach me how to play chess. Like it's more, I don't know how, like, like you can visually see you're getting better at chess very easily because your ELO increases, right? But like, I don't know if I could like coach someone and they would feel they're getting as much out of it. Yeah, it's um, harder because of game integrity issues. So like if you're, yeah. if you're playing heads up, you could do that. But heads up isn't really the necessarily the best way to teach somebody poker at first because the ranges are so wide. And, yeah. the, and the, I, I know what you're talking about because I'm very interested in pedagogy and poker and how I think yeah. we were doing it wrong for so many years. People are starting to approach, I think, a better and more chess-like method where they focus on, you know, deliberate practice and mm-hmm. repetition. Um, but mm-hmm. but still, it, it's not as easy like as you hopping on with Anna Rudolph, which I know you're going to be doing right after our podcast. And those those are all, I think, on Anna Rudolph's channel, um, YouTube. You guys record your, your lessons and then it goes on to her channel. And it's like just so seamless. Whereas if you're teaching her poker, it's, it's a lot more difficult because of regulations and game integrity. You can't just like ghost her playing a, a big <laughs> MTT. It's just not appropriate. No, no. You know, so no. even if even if it was on a delay, yeah, it, like that's another thing. I would love to be able to do more collaborations, but I haven't found like the best way. Like you said, like you said, we're going to do something, but that it's a little different because you have both backgrounds, right? Yeah, like it's not the same thing. We'll work out something though. I hope. I hope that it continues to grow. Like this summer, like all records were broken for Twitch, uh, for poker on Twitch. Like we've had like Lex break the record; it was insane, and then there was another record broken, and it's just like. If that growth can come, like, I think there's loads of potential. Like, i done an interview five years ago when I first started streaming. I said, I think someone could have 50,000 people watching them playing poker. And they laughed at me. And then Lex got 60,000 people watching them, right? I don't know, like, how much more room there is. I'd like to think there is. And I'd love more people to, like, do more innovative things and come into the directory and, like, spice it up. I love that chess and poker are often neck and neck, too. Like, chess breaks a record one week with the Pog Champs. And then the next week, Poker Stars breaks the record <laughs> with the Stadium Series. It's, like, this rationing up of it. I love to see it because like you, I think the beauty of, 
I, I put in a tweet actually that um, because people were saying like, what do we do to make poker as popular as chess? Which was a hilarious question to me because it was always the opposite <laughs> opposite question for my last decade. And I said, um, chess has something that poker will never have. Um, young children who love the game and learn from yeah, five, to, five to, to 16. And are encouraged to do it. Yeah. And then poker has something that chess will never have. And that is no children. Yeah, because it it, works both ways. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Sometimes people just want that space. But I do agree that in the Twitch communities, I do love to see that diversity where you see really all ages enjoying the chess. And then, you know, a lot of like older people getting introduced to this new technology of streaming and Twitch where they wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable, you know, joining that with only teenagers in the chat. So it's really the beauty of both of our games that we're, we're creating these networks. And so I think there's just a lot of overlap. Thank you so much for coming on the grid today <laughs> to talk about, you know, not just one, but two hands with Ace-10 off, which... <laughs> I thought I'd mess up out of them. <laughs> yeah, but that was brave. And actually, there is, I think, a relationship between the strength of the player on the grid and the um, <laughs> absurdity of the hand that they bring. Usually, the better the player, the more ridiculous the hand is. That's a, a little bit of peace of mind. So <laughs> I shouldn't say ridiculous. The more painful, the more the yeah, more painful. Uh, yeah. So it's all good. Lex Feldhills was actually the first guest in the grade, and he talked about an absolute, you know, massive four bet pun. It was King Four Off. King Four Off. Oh, was it King Four? Okay. Yeah. So he got it in there. No problem. <laughs> Mid position. Lex, uh, Lex has gone a little bit soft in his older age. He used to be the bluffing king. <laughs> so you got good company. And of course, I know that Ace-10 offsuit is a hand that, you know, many people have struggles with, many um, great memories and horrible memories. And honestly, even though you you, you um, explain why you played both of them suboptimally, it, it was one of your greatest achievements in winning the scoop. And then one huge disappointment in the Irish Open. So you showed us both sides of that poker coin. Thank you very much for having me on. I really do appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll talk again pretty soon and I'll get you on the stream. You can teach me a few chess tricks. That's right. And it is Finton Hand, who is easy with aces on Twitch. And you can also find him, of course, on Twitter and his podcast. Sit down there and I'll include all those links in the show notes. Finton Hand, Ace 10 Aussie. Thank you so much for listening to The Poker Grid. Go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast network. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. We also really appreciate your reviews and ratings. They really do help. We also have a new mailing list, so go ahead and subscribe to that on thepokergrid.com slash subscribe. Finally, if you're looking for a way to support me and my projects, I'm the Women's Program Director at US Chess, and we're trying to equalize the field in the mind sports arena. You can go to uschess.org and pick a donation of any size. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to The Poker Grid as we count down 169 hands. No one ever bust. They say I'm lucky. Oh, no, no need to bluff. With all the cheap tricks up my sleeve. Yeah, I got talent.